Bible study tonight, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to begin in Hebrews 10, and then we're going to come to chapter 15. But to understand chapter 13, we need to understand chapter 10. And so Hebrews chapter 10, we'll begin reading in verse 1. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. He's talking about the Day of Atonement and also the daily sacrifices that the Levitical priests offered before God in the tabernacle and the temple. And he's saying that all the things that they offered could not take sins away. In fact, because they offered those sins, those offerings, those sacrifices, every day and every year, those, the sins were brought to, to remembrance. They weren't completely put away. Verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. <clears throat> Verse 5, wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith. Okay, just a moment. Who's he talking about when it says, when he says, when he cometh into the world? Who came into the world? The Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He came into the world. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Now, when the author of Hebrews wrote these words, he was quoting from Psalm 40. And so, coinciding with with what we learned this past Lord's Day, the New Testament writers quoted the Old Testament and they found their authority for the truth, the, the truths they taught in the Old Testament. No Old Testament, no New Testament. Verse number seven, then said I, so he's continuing to quote what the Lord said when he came into the world and he's getting this from Psalm 40. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Why did the Lord Jesus Christ come into this world? He came into this world to do the will of the Father. Verse 8. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, Come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. So the Old Testament uh, offerings and sacrifices were commanded by God of the Jewish people, of the Israelite people, but all of those things could never take away sin. They could temporarily cover sin. They could not take away sin. And uh, was there something wrong with those? 
Nothing wrong with those sacrifices, but they were not complete. <clears throat> they were only a shadow of things to come. That's what verse 1 says. The law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. It was not possible. Verse 4 says, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. And so the Lord Jesus came to offer himself to do that, to do God's will, and to take away the first that he may establish the second. And what did he come? What was the will that he came to do? Verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of of Jesus Christ once for all. So that's what he came to do. He came to give his body on the cross for our sins. And that is the, the offering that God desired. Not bulls and goats and all sorts of sacrifices. Did he desire them in the sense that he commanded and instructed the Israelites to offer them? Yes. But did God desire those things to take sin away? No, those things could never take away sin. The Lord Jesus Christ takes away the first, the system, the Old Testament system, the law system, including priests presenting sacrifices and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, so that he may establish the second. The second what? The second covenant, the New Testament. He said, this is the New Testament in my blood. So to establish the second, he had to give God an offering that was greater than all of the other offerings ever presented over hundreds of years and that ever could have been offered. Let's continue. Verse 11, Hebrews 10, beginning here at verse 11. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices Let's read the rest of that verse together. Which can never take away sins. All of those things that the priest offered could never take away sins. Verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Verse 13 from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And so in verse 10, we see this, the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. And then in verse 14, by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And so all of those things that they offered back then could only temporarily put sin away, but every year the high priest had to offer the, the, the offering for the sin of atonement, make the sin of a, uh, the offering of atonement uh, on the day of atonement once a year and that brought to remembrance their sin and it also could not take it away but christ came he died once 
that his offering that he made once was enough and sufficient forever to cleanse and remove, take away all of our sins. And uh, maybe someone says, how can that be? I, like, I just recently heard one of my favorite preachers, evangelists, talking about this. He was preaching at a secular college. Y'all know what secular means? It means non-Christian, non-religious, so-called. And he was preaching at a secular college. And this, this young man stood up, uh, raised his hand, had a question for the preacher. He thought he had the preacher stumped. In, uh, he had the preacher stumped. He thought he had the preacher in a corner. He thought the preacher, he had a question the preacher could not answer. He said, how can the death of one man 2,000 years ago take care of the sins of anyone, let alone people 2,000 years later? How can that possibly be? And uh, he said, he said, uh, thank you for that good question. <laughs> and he told how he answered that question. The way he answered that question was that, you take everything in the world, all the birds, all the trees, all the insects, all the animals, all the oceans, all the air, all the people, all the machines, the universe, and you put that in one side of a scale, and you put Jesus Christ in another, on the other side, and he said, this man outweighs them all. Amen. Not in physical weight, but in value, in worth. That one man is worth more than everything else in the universe. Amen. And so that is why his one offering could perfect us forever. Right. One offering for sins forever. Notice it's once for all. Verse 10. Once for all. He did not repeat the offering. He didn't die once and then rise from the dead and then get up and go back to another cross and die again. He died once for all. He does not sacrifice himself repeatedly and he does not give anyone the authority to re-sacrifice him again right. and again and again on an altar or on a cross or in a cup of wine or in a pan of bread. He does not give anyone that authority. Right. He died once for all. Let's, let's continue. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that, he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities Will I remember no more? Now, he doesn't say here, it is written. But look what he said. The Holy Ghost said this. Where did the Holy Ghost say this? Where did the Holy Spirit speak these words? In Jeremiah chapter 31. Again, the, the author of Hebrews is quoting from the Old Testament. Amen. From the prophets. Earlier in the chapter... Hebrews quotes from the Psalms. Here he quotes from Jeremiah. Verse 18. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. The very idea that you or I could offer anything to God to pay the penalty for our sin 
It's an offense. It's an affront to God. It's an affront. It's an offense. It's a shame to the grace of Jesus Christ. The apostle said in Acts 15, we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. He has offered one sacrifice for sins forever. And because of that, there is no more offering for sin. I think most of you understand this pretty well. So I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm saying all this to set up what I want to teach you tonight. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 16. Wait, wait. Before we turn there, let's read this one more time. Verse 18. The, the last part of verse 18. There is no more offering for sin. One more time. Let's read it together. There is no more offering for sin. Okay. You got that in your heads? There is no more offering for sin. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. But to do good and to communicate. The word communicate means to share with others. To do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Uh, do you see what the problem might be here? Hebrews 10 told us there's no more offering. Right? There's no more offering. Sacrifices are done. Here it says, that there are certain kinds of sacrifices with which God is pleased. So God does want sacrifices? God does want offerings? Or doesn't he? How do we understand this? Well, the answer is found in, in this. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 18 has two words at the end of the sentence. Someone look at that and tell everybody what those last two words in verse 18 are. Hebrews 10 verse 18. For sin. There is no more offering for sin. God accepts no offering that we can make for sin. But to be saved, there's nothing we can do to get our sins forgiven, to get our sins taken away. There's nothing we can do. No matter how much we do, God will not accept it. God does not count that as I accept that, I approve of that. Because Christ has taken care of that offering. Amen. But come to Hebrews 13, verse 16. And he says, with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So there are some sacrifices that God is still pleased with. God still wants. There's no contradiction. These two verses are not disagreeing with each other. The answer is very simple. Christ made the final sacrifice and offering for sin... But God still delights in his children offering certain sacrifices to him. And so what I'd like for us to do tonight is begin looking at these sacrifices. We will look at just one of them. There are three sacrifices that God delights in and desires for his children who are saved by the one offering for sin forever. He delights in us giving this sacri these sacrifices to him. And we're going to spend some time tonight, and whenever I can teach these again, looking at these 
three sacrifices tonight. Sacrifice number one. Let's pray. Father, as we spend some time in the Word of God studying the Bible tonight, I pray that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things in your Word. I pray you glorify the Lord Jesus and not only um, during our Bible study time, not only would he be the center of attention in our Bible study, but I pray that the result of our Bible study would be that we love him more and know how better to serve and please you and actually do it, actually live to please you. We pray in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. A couple of years ago, one of my little boys, he's not so little anymore, but he was then, he asked me, Daddy, can I use some of your leather? I have a box of scrap leather that I had for some crafts and things. And he said, can I, can I use some of your leather? And I, I gave him the box of old scraps and I said, and he said to me, Daddy, what should I make? <laughs> I said, do whatever you want with it. <laughs> and I had no idea, do whatever you want with it. Well, a few hours later, he came to me, and he gave me this pocket-sized leather notebook that he'd made. He had taken some leather, he folded it, he put paper in there, he, I don't know how he put it together, but he stapled it in somehow, and he handed me this nice little leather uh, notebook that fit in my shirt pocket. And um, he, he didn't, he didn't ask me for how to do anything, but he just made it up himself. Did, did he bring that to me in order to become my son? No. Thank you, Fiona. She's doing this. Uh, he's already my son. He'd be my son whether he brought me a nice little leather book or not. He gave it to me because he's my son and because he loves his daddy. Now watch this. He made it himself sacrificing of his time, but he used what I gave him to make a gift for me. <laughs> and that is really a great picture of the three sacrifices that God wants us to give him. We don't make these up. We don't have, in fact, we don't even have to think of what they are, uh, make the guess or or conjure them up. God has told us in his word what they are and the ability to give them and the resources to give them to him are all from God to begin with. So here's the first one. Here's the first of these three distinct specific sacrifices that the, the children of God can offer to our father sacrifices which God said these please me. I delight in these. I like these sacrifices. Here's the first one. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice of praise to God continually. What is the sacrifice of praise? He tells us right here. That is... The fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. The fruit of our lips. Now, can you imagine what that looks like? If you put in the chat GPT, give me a picture of a man 
with fruit coming out of his lips. Can you imagine what it might give? Remember that picture I showed some of you the other day of uh, someone put in a chat GPT. Make a picture of David fighting the Ammonites. And it had this picture of, I guess, King David with the sword that was probably the image, the idea of the image from him chopping off Goliath's head. But the Ammonites were those, those sea mollusks that did, they're, I guess they're um, ex in, extinct now, but they're all over the ocean, all over the ocean floor, in rocks and on top of mountains. They're, they're petrified, those little brown things. And so there are all these mollusks coming at him, and he had a sword <laughs> to fight the Ammonites. Can you imagine what uh, AI would create if it said, if we said, hey, give us a picture of the fruit of the lips? I can just imagine. Some of you might possibly know who Carmen Miranda, the idea of Carmen Miranda, she was a lady who wore a basket of fruit on top of her head. And that's about all I know about it. But can you imagine if you moved that basket down about half a foot and it was coming out of her mouth instead? Fruit pouring out. <laughs> that's not what he's talking about here. What is the fruit of our lips? The fruit of our lips is giving thanks to his name. We've got a garden in our yard, and right now we're not doing a whole lot with it, but it keeps growing. It keeps growing sweet potatoes. If we whack them all back within a week, they're growing again. The leaves are all over, the, the vines come out, and they grow. We've grown corn and okra and tomatoes and beans and, and sweet potatoes. And it's really satisfying to go outside and, and pick some of that produce that comes out of our own garden and take it in the house and rinse it off and eat it and throw it to a salad or, or cook it up. Did you know that your mouth is something like a garden? Your mouth is like a garden. And I'm not talking about the bacteria growing in it. I mean... The words that you speak, every word is like a fruit. A fruit that shows what's actually, listen, a fruit that shows what's actually growing in your heart. Every word you speak is a fruit that shows what kind of seed is in your heart. What kind of roots are in your heart. Ooh, ooh. Let's look at some verses about that. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15. We'll look at some verses in the Old Testament and some in the New. Proverbs 15 and verse number 2. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright. And that's positive, isn't it? The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright. Have you ever said something to someone... And you just knew that was just the right thing to say? And you were surprised that you were surprised that, that you said it so well. <laughs> you said just the right thing at just the right time. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright. But the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Every time I go into an airport. I have to, I, I think I wish that I had earplugs because they're always playing CNN. And on CNN, there is rarely a wise word spoken. It's just constant foolishness being poured out. Now, if they, if they 
reported news and just told what was happening, that would be one thing. But CNN doesn't just tell news, they tell news, they twist the news, and they, they tell it with commentary in a way that makes you want to hate America and hate God and hate the Bible and hate Christianity and look down on Christians and kill babies and think that perversion is okay. That's CNN's message. Constantly, foolishness just pours out of their mouth. Well, where does it come from? Why does the mouth of fools pour out foolishness? Where does it come from? Let's look at one more verse in this chapter. Verse 28. Proverbs 15, verse 28. The heart of the righteous studies to answer. Ah, so if a righteous man, a righteous person, has the right kind of answers to give in different situations, where does he get those right answers? They come out of his heart out of his heart, which has been studying to think about what is true, to, to differentiate, to, to split apart, this is true and this is false, and here's why this is true, here's why this is false, and here's how we understand that, and here's how I can explain that to somebody. His heart studies that. The heart of the righteous studies to answer, but the mouth of the wicked, here's that word again, poureth out evil things. Isn't that kind of a gross idea? Again, think about it. If we told ChatGPT, hey, give me a picture of evil things pouring out of someone's mouth, what do you think it would show us? It's kind of hard to imagine, but I think it might be pretty gross. <laughs> Where does all that stuff come from? Well, if right answers and the rightness of knowledge comes out of a righteous man's heart, then where does the foolishness and the wickedness of a foolish man come from? Out of his heart. It just pours out. So, before we even go to the New Testament, let me ask you, what kind of fruit is growing in your lips? In the garden of your mouth, What's being produced there? Are they wise words? Are they words of truth and knowledge and help and good answers? Or is it just foolishness and wickedness just pouring out of your mouth all the time? What kind of garden is your mouth? One more verse in the Old Testament, very close to Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse number 12. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Gracious. But the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. <laughs> you know, there's a proverb that tells us that a fool's mouth calleth for strokes. What that means? 
It's like his words. He might not say it. Yeah, but <laughs> you're a smart nine-year-old. <laughs> it's like his words say, hey, hit me. Hit me. Smack me. Beat me up. Here's my mouth. You can't miss it. Hit me right here. A fool's mouth calleth for strokes. Hit me. Smack me. The lips of a fool will swallow up himself. A fool will speak words that will get him into trouble. I saw a video last night of a police chief who showed up at the scene of a car accident where a police officer was dealing with a driver who was driving while intoxicated, DWI, and and he was the, the chief, the chief of police was drunk. What? DUI is driving under influence, DWI is driving while intoxicated. And the police officer said this. Well, let's see, back up. The police chief showed up and he was drunk. He showed up to the scene drunk. And he said to the police officer who was dealing with the drunk driver, you, you need to leave this alone. I need you to do something else. I think he was telling him to take off your jacket or something. It's something that had nothing to do with his job. It was all in the, the officer's body cam. And he was slurring his words and he was telling him, he was kind of wobbling a little bit. To, you, you need to take off that. You're on duty. You can't wear that jacket. Take off that jacket. He said, sir, I'm, I'm dealing with the DW. I've got to do my job. And that chief began speaking very foul words, bad words, ugly words, and foolishness was pouring out of his mouth while the officer was trying to do his job. Guess what happened to that police chief? He got in trouble. He lost his job. A, the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. Do you think that if he had been meditating or thinking about truth and studying to answer and <laughs> avoiding alcohol, do you think he would have gotten himself in that situation? Probably not. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Gracious. Now, can you think of someone whose, whose words were gracious, full of grace and kindness? Can you think of someone like that? Let's think. Do we know anyone like that whose words were gracious. Let's see. Does the Bible give us an illustration of someone like that? Can you think of someone, Caleb? Do you know someone, Fiona? Who? God and my parents. God and your parents. Well, that's what a good testimony. Let's look at, <laughs> that's sweet. God and my parents. Look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and verse hmm, verse 22 the context what's happening here is that the Lord Jesus Christ went into the synagogue he stood up he read from uh, the book of Isaiah from the scroll and then he returned he closed the book he returned it and he sat down and verse 22 said says and all bear him witness that means they all testified and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. They were surprised. They were in awe at the words 
that came out of his mouth, which were so full of grace. Hmm. Why do you think the words that came out of the Lord's mouth were gracious words? Is it because maybe he was himself full of grace and truth? Like John chapter 1 tells us, he was full of grace. His heart was overflowing with grace. And so his words were gracious. His mouth was a garden of grace. <laughs> the fruit that was on his lips were, were, were gracious fruits, gracious words. And he explained that, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Here's what he said about that. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. Ah, so there it is. If what's in your heart is good, what will come out of your mouth will be good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. So if what's in your heart is bad, what will come out of your mouth will be bad. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. So once more, I wanted to ask you, what kind of garden is your mouth? What kind of fruits are coming out of your lips? Hebrews 13, again, let's look there again. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. God wants what comes out of our mouths to be fruit that is pleasant. Not fruit that is tasty, but fruit that is pleasant to hear. Pleasant to others and pleasant to him. We can just write these verses down. Proverbs 15, 26. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. Well, the first part of that verse says that the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. Pleasant to whom? Probably pleasant to the Lord. The Lord likes to hear the words that come out of the mouth of people with a pure heart. Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Pleasant words. What kind of garden is growing in your mouth? Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Pause. Did you hear the first word of that verse? Let. That means you decide what comes out of your mouth. Did you hear that? You decide what kind of words come out of your mouth. Right. <clears throat> Let no communication excuse me, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Let nothing bad come out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, 
Edifying means building up. So don't let bad stuff come out, but let good stuff come out that builds up others. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And believe me, whether you know it or not, someone is always listening to what you have to say. Now we are really faced with that, that fact now that we all have smartphones. My neighbor that moved away a couple years ago, he told me that he was in the car with his wife talking about where to eat and he mentioned, I think I'd like to get a hamburger. And his phone brought up an ad. I think he said he had the GPS on. And his phone brought up an ad for recommending hamburger restaurants in the area. He said, it was listening to me. My phone was listening to me. Oh, wow, I wonder what my phone has heard. And I thought about that often. I wonder what my phone hears. And I wonder if it's just computers that hear it and, and figure it out with AI, or if there's actually someone somewhere that actually can get this information and kind of know what goes on in my house. I shouldn't be ashamed of what, of what goes on in my house, but there is something that we like. We like to have some sense of privacy. Someone's always listening. Whether you have a smartphone in your house or not, whether you have uh, security cameras in your house or not with microphones on them, someone is always listening. We'll say things, we'll be talking, and all of a sudden, the baby, who is a year and a half old, will catch one word, he'll grab one word from what we said, and he'll repeat that one word. Now sometimes, it's something we want him to repeat. Like when we pray and we come to the end and we say amen, he says now, amen, amen. I think he's a little Arab or something. Amen. Um, but then sometimes he'll just a random word out of the middle of a sentence, he'll repeat the word. Why did he pick that word out? He's listening. His little brain is picking things up, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. There's always someone hearing. You always have a hearer. He says in Ephesians 4, don't let anything bad come out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, to the purpose of building up, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. God wants the fruit that comes out of our lips to be words that are pleasant to hear, words that build up others, words with which he is pleased. What kind of fruit is coming out of your lips? Why should we do this? Why should we be concerned that about, about the right kind of fruit? Hebrews 13, 15, again, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God Continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Why should we praise God? Why should we thank God? Why should we offer this sacrifice of praise to him? Well, 
There's a good example of this, a good picture of this in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. So let's turn there. Revelation chapter 4 first. Revelation chapter 4. These two chapters give us a window into the throne room of heaven. What the angels and what redeemed saved souls do there show us what perfect worship looks like. You know, we're living in a time when people are trying to reinvent what they call worship. There's a church in, uh, I think it's Ohio, that had a Super Bowl church service on Super Bowl Sunday. They've been doing it, I think, for the past, was it 20 years or so? And uh, they actually did a kickoff on the stage of the church. And the kickoff was one of the pastors, a lady, <laughs> kicking a Bible to one of the other pastors. What? Yes. Yes. Uh, blasphemy in church. And then in that, I think it was the same service, they had a pastor, so-called pastor, sitting on a giant uh, wrecking ball suspended by a chain from the ceiling, swinging back and forth across the platform, and they were singing the song that says something like, uh, your love is like a wrecking ball. And they're calling this worship. But let's be careful about our criticism because what we receive, what we think of as worship, we need to test by the word of God too. And so let's see what perfect worship looks like. Revelation chapter 4 tells how John looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and he went up there he was taken up there and he saw the throne room of heaven and he saw the throne of God and he saw God sitting upon his throne and he saw the angels and the different beasts the angelic beasts around there praising God verse 9 and when those beasts give glory and honor to him Oh, back up, verse 8. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. Now pause. I said this is perfect worship. That does not mean that we have to be like these beasts. We don't have wings, do we? We don't have eyes within, do we? No. And they rest not day and night. We learned last week that God wants us to rest, didn't we? So when we say the model of perfect worship or a picture of perfect worship, we're going to learn some principles, okay? But we don't do everything that's recorded in the Bible. We need to do everything the Bible teaches us to do, but not follow everything that's done. That's really important to remember because there are lots of people call themselves Christians that say, because this was done in the Bible one time, we need to do it now all the time. For example, uh, on Pentecost and Acts chapter 2 the Jewish believers, the apostles and the disciples, they spoke with tongues that they had never learned with languages they never learned and people who had converted to the Jewish religion Jewish proselytes they came from all over the world and they heard these men speak the wonderful works of God in their language and they said, how do these men know our language? They've never learned. 
And so they wanted to listen to what they had to say. And what they had to say was about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why God gave that gift at that moment. Are we supposed to repeat that now? You know, there are missionaries all over the world that wish they had that gift. And they wish they didn't have to go to language school and learn a language. And they could just speak in Swahili without having to learn it. Or speak in Brazilian sign language with their hands without having to learn it. Just get off the plane and start preaching the gospel of Christ in Brazilian sign language without having to learn it. Wouldn't that have been wonderful for Brother Spikes? No, he had to study. So just because something was done once doesn't mean it has to be done again. But we can follow the principles. They rest not day and night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Okay, watch this. They praise the holiness of God. They praise the omnipotence of God. Lord God Almighty. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Which was and is and is to come. They praised God for being eternal. Verse 9. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Oh, so they took off the crowns that were on their heads. They threw them down at his feet to say, we submit to you. Everything good that we have is from you. And they give it back to him. So there's, there's praise for who God is. There's praise for God's attributes and characteristics. And then there's submission and there is offering. Verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. In chapter 4, what these uh, beasts and creatures and angels and elders focus on is God the Creator. God the Creator. And they praise God the Creator. Okay? So good worship, true worship, real worship, perfect worship includes praising God for being the creator. And we could also say praising God for how he has created the world. Let's come to chapter 5. There's another angle that they praise God from and something else they praise God for. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, John was probably surprised, because he'd just been told, a lion has prevailed. But he didn't see a lion. What stood there? A lamb. There stood a lamb as it had been slain. Not a conquering lion, but a slain lamb. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and 
golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song. So in true worship, there is falling down on one's face. <laughs> that can be an element of it. There are prayers and they are there is singing. They sung a new song saying, I can sing of your love forever. 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 We fall down, we fall down, we fall down. We bow down, we bow down. We kneel, we bow our faces down. We can sing of your love forever. Was that what they sang? Was their song all about what they did for him? Or was it all about what he had done? Let's see. Let's see. Verse number nine. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. They didn't talk about what they did. They talked about what he had done. And specifically what he had done in redeeming them by his blood. And so we sing when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And so we sing, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross for the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. And so we sing, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners Plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. And so we sing, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. They sung a new song. It was praise to the Lamb for shedding his blood to redeem us from our sins. Come down to verse 12. Here's what they said again in verse 12. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever. Chapter four focuses, the worship focuses on God the creator. In chapter five, the worship focuses on Christ the Savior. Jesus the Redeemer. And so what kind of praise, what kind of worship should we offer as we offer the sacrifice of praise? Remember these two Elements, and we need to finish here. As you offer the sacrifice of praise to God, remember these two things. 
Praise him for his creation. He is the creator. The almighty, the holy, 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 eternal God who created this universe. And he is the lion who became a lamb that is the mighty conqueror who became the humble sacrifice for sins. And if you focus on God in that way, thinking about him as the almighty, eternal, holy creator who gave of himself, gave himself to, to redeem us with his own blood, and you praise him for these two facets of his personality and his work, these two sides, your worship will be praise that God can receive. That's the kind of fruit that God wants to hear coming out of your lips. So, Hebrews 13, verse 15, tells us, By him, that is by Christ, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. And so if there is a, if there is a, here's what to do with this Bible study tonight, here's what it is. Praise God with your lips for being the almighty, eternal, holy creator, and for being the humble, self-sacrificing Lamb of God. With such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Okay, so next time we... We have a Bible study. We will continue this, and then we'll start getting into the other two as well. All right? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for letting us spend some time in the Word of God. I pray you help us to, to see you for who you are, the Almighty, the Eternal Creator, and the Redeemer of our souls, made possible through the blood shed on Calvary. And help us to offer to you the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to your name. Continue. We pray in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.